so we have two readings today. Um, our first reading is in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, and that is on page 985 in the Red Church Bibles. Um, So that's Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where, there are two, or th- for where two or three come together in my name, there, there am I with them. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and that's on page 1147 in the Church Bible. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does, not even, that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may have a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. This is God's word. Good 
Good morning. Yeah, children, time for you to leave us. I hope you have a fabulous time up in Sunday Club. Um, can I say hi if you don't know me? My name's Ed. I'm the pastor here at Grosvenor. Lovely to have you with us. Um, do say hi afterwards. Um, I'd love to get to know you if you're new or visiting. We are going to spend some time hearing God speak through his word. So uh, please would you keep um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 open in front of you because it's so important for you to check that what I'm saying is really what God is saying from the Bible. And I'm going to ask for God's help as we come to look at it. Our gracious Father, we bow before you. We thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that we might live a a life worthy of you, pleasing you in every way and bearing much fruit. And we know for that to be the case, you need to open up our eyes to hear your voice and our hearts to see our sin and our um, hearts to wonder and delight and trust in Jesus. So we pray that you would do that as we hear your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein or the Association, uh, the Scouting Association of Ireland, or just up the road at Terenure College, that uh, teacher, John McLean. We're sadly used to hearing devastating stories of abuse, of serious sin being uncovered in our world. I think one of the saddest parts is that it's not uncovered earlier. That as these stories come out, we think, you know, if only people had said something. There must have been some who suspected what was going on or even knew. Why didn't they do something? It's just as sad, even more shocking, when it happens in the church, in Jesus' church, when it's uncovered. Recently, Ravi Zacharias in the U.S. or Jonathan Fletcher in the U.K. And again, one of the saddest parts is that the bit we struggle to understand is how did it go on for so long? Why didn't anyone say something? It is really hard in some of those situations for the victims to speak out. But surely someone suspected or even knew what was going on. They should have done something. How should we as Christians, as a church, deal with serious sin? That's, what the, question, that's the question this passage that we're looking at today addresses. The topic of church discipline. It's not actually a passage primarily about abuse. It's about serious unrepentant sin. So so it will apply to all sorts of serious sin within the church. It's not an easy topic. 
It may not be easy for you. Maybe you, you come this morning as someone who has really suffered at the hands of others. Or maybe suffered at the hands of others who claim to be followers of Jesus, or even are. Can I say, if you really are suffering or struggling like that, please don't suffer in silence. Please tell someone you trust, you know, you love, maybe a friend, maybe one of the staff here or an elder, so that we can help and support you in that. But if we do know there is serious sin going on, what are we to do? As we come to chapter 5, Paul says there is no excuse for Christians to leave serious sin unaddressed. How should the people of God deal with serious sin? Well, first we're going to look at how we should view it. We're going to see five lessons. And then how we should deal with it and four steps. So here's how to view serious sin. Here's the first thing. Unrepentant, serious sin should not be tolerated. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. See, Paul can hardly believe his ears as he hears the report of what's going on. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man as his father's wife. It seems this man is sleeping with his stepmother, his own father's wife. And Paul says, you wouldn't even find this in the world. Even in pagan Corinth, which would have been known as a place where anything goes. And yet Paul says, I hear this is happening in the church. The world outside is supposed to look at the church of Jesus. And they're supposed to see what it looks like to belong to Jesus. I'm just going to deal with this because I keep tripping over <laughs> sorry someone delightfully placed it there just to see if they could get me to fall over in the middle of this um, yeah, the, the world outside is supposed to look at the people of God and see what it looks like to follow Jesus to belong to Jesus sometimes people are attracted by that they go oh wow look at the life that they have how do they get that other times Maybe less so, or convicted, it's very different. They think very differently to what I think. But certainly, the church is not supposed to be worse than the world. And so, church discipline, exposing or dealing with serious sin, is actually an important witness for the world. It's for the good of the world. It shouldn't be tolerated. I wonder for us as a church, where do we tolerate sin rather than deal with it? It might be in our own lives or in the church. Secondly, unrepentant serious sin should make us grieve. I was at Bible college. We just finished a sort of seminar tutorial and one of my fellow students just sort of caught me afterwards and said, Ed, Ed, I just want to let you know that um, this church leader, so-and-so, well, they've 
had to step down because of serious sexual sin. To my shame, in that moment, I was sort of delighted to hear this information. It was sort of intriguing. This sort of juicy piece of information. That is not how we should think of sin. When a brother or sister in Christ has committed serious sin, it's not something we should enjoy being in the know about. Not something that we should gossip about. It should make us grieve. So Paul says, verse 2, end of verse 1, a man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Corinthian church are so proud of themselves that they think they're wise, they're truly spiritual. And Paul says, you're so full of yourselves, you don't even realize what kind of behavior is going on amongst you. You, you don't realize how awful it is. It should grieve you. As it grieves God, as it grieves the God that this man claims to follow. When we hear about sin, do do we find it fascinating or devastating? It's our sin that has ruined this world. It's sin that sends people to hell. It's sin that meant Jesus had to go to the cross. Whether it's ours or others, all sin should make us grieve. Thirdly, Unrepentant, serious sin should mean loving discipline. Because Paul goes on. Verse 2, you're proud, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though Paul's not with them physically, he he makes his opinion really clear, verse 3. Even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit, And I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. And so he says to them, they should do the same, verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord." I wonder as you hear that phrase, sort of hand this man over to Satan, what, what do you think? Is it, is it some kind of sort of black magic? Is it, it sounds like, is it even helping Satan? Well, actually, this is just another way of saying uh, what's said at the end of verse 2. Put this man out of your fellowship. Or is said right at the end, verse 13, expel the wicked man from among you. It's saying put him out of the church, into the world. Because the world is Satan's realm. Yeah, Satan is ultimately defeated, but for the time being, in the world, he is still allowed a certain amount of power. And so they had to hand this man over to the world, to Satan. But why? Why put him out? Why hand it over? It sounds sort of really harsh, really cold, really heartless. Actually, discipline is the most loving thing they can do for someone who is committing serious sin and is unwilling to stop. 
Because they need to be warned. They need to be warned of the serious danger they're in, the eternal danger that they are in, if they don't change. I want you to imagine for a moment there are two parents in the front of a car. The mother is driving. Sat behind the mother is their, their small boy, their son. And as they're driving along, he is just shouting and screaming at the mother. And she can hardly concentrate. And the father, sitting in the passenger seat, just does nothing. And then the son, he starts hitting the mother and kicking the back of her seat. And the father in the passenger seat, he just does nothing. And then the son unbuckles his seatbelt and opens the door as they're driving along. The father sits there, says and does nothing. Is the father loving? You know, maybe say, oh, he doesn't want to interfere, he doesn't want to sound too harsh or, or cold. Well, he's not loving at all, is he? No discipline, no warning means he just doesn't care. He doesn't care if this child falls out on the road or if this mother crashes the car or, or if this child just grows up to do whatever he likes with no sense of right and wrong. Discipline is loving. And loving, careful church discipline is a loving warning for a sinner to come to their senses, to be truly saved before it's too late. And that's probably what the end of verse 5 is talking about. So hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. You see, the, the purpose of this, the hope, the aim, is that this person comes to their senses. They realize that they are in the wrong. They repent. They come back to Jesus for forgiveness. And so their sinful nature is dealt with by Jesus and their spirit is saved. Do we love people enough to warn them, to help them to see their sin? Maybe for you, you know someone today who, who says, who, who is a brother or sister in Christ, and yet you know what they are doing is wrong, is seriously wrong. Do you love them enough to speak to them? Or are we open enough, humble enough, for people to speak to us? To people to help us see our sin? Fourthly, unrepentant, serious sin affects the whole church. Verse 6, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. If you're a a fan of uh, Bake Off. Maybe you were watching this week. You know, it was Bread Week this week. All about yeast and things like that. You'll know all about this. 
Okay, so you take a bit of yeast, you put it into your dough, and you knead it away, and the yeast works all the way through the dough, and the whole loaf rises. And so at the end, there were these sort of massive cottage loaves. Well, if you're a baker with yeast, and it spreads like that, that is a great thing. If you're a church with a sinner or sin, and it spreads like that, it is a dreadful thing. See, the church is not a collection of individuals. No, Paul describes later in 1 Corinthians the church as one loaf. It says we are one body. In Christ, as we are joined to Jesus, we are joined to one another in a deeply relational organism. And so what I do affects you. And what you do affects me. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's more obvious. You know, if, if we tolerate someone's persistent lying, well then truth matters less and less in our body. If we tolerate someone's sexual sin, then, well, purity matters less in our body. It's why Paul says this is so serious, so, so infectious that we are to get rid of this yeast. Verse 7, get rid of the old yeast. Get rid of the old yeast that we may be, you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our, sac our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Sexual sin is totally incompatible with who the church really is, Paul says. People rescued by Jesus, rescued from sin by Jesus. Paul reminds them of Egypt, of the Passover. He, he says, do you remember that miraculous rescue by God of the Israelites, Israelites out of Egypt? And you know that Passover festival that is celebrated? That they celebrate every year there's a lamb sacrificed. It's not just a reminder of the rescue from Egypt. It's a reminder of the rescue from sin. And that unleavened bread, it's not just a reminder that it was a quick exodus and there was no time for yeast in the bread. It's a reminder of leaving the old life, leaving sin behind. For the Corinthians, for us, what, what do we need? How serious was our sin? Well, a, a lamb doesn't take away sin. We needed the Lamb of God. The eternal, begotten Son. Become man, Christ. We needed Him sacrificed for us. We needed His death to rescue us. That is how serious our sin was. And so committed to dealing with our sin was Jesus. That He willingly sacrificed Himself. So committed was he to set us free from that old way of life so that we could live for him and his way. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning. This is what you need more than anything else. To realize that Christ died for you, that he's the only way to be forgiven for your sin and to be put right with God. You need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. And if we have done that, 
well, then we ought to keep the festival. That's what we're told in, in verse 8. Actually, it could be literally celebrate the festival. Therefore, let us keep, let us celebrate the festival. Not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. How are we to celebrate? By living the life we were set free for. Living life that is really life. A life of living for Jesus. Not the old life of sin. Fifthly, unrepentant serious sin is the responsibility of the whole church. Did you notice here chapter 5 who Paul is talking to? It's not just the leaders. It is everybody. It's you, plural, all the way through this passage. So, verse 4. When you, plural, are gathered, are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. As you gather in the name of the Lord Jesus, he says, with the power of the Lord Jesus, then you, the church members, have responsibility for the health, to guard the health of the church. We're going to welcome someone into membership in a little while. It's part of the reason why formal membership is such an important part of church life. If you're a regular attender, then become a member. Together, it's our job to judge those who say they're Christians, but actually are living as not. That doesn't mean that as the church we can make someone a Christian or make someone not a Christian. No, it's our job to declare. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 18 when he says, whatever you bind on earth, you'll bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. We've been given this responsibility to say, who is bound to us? And who should be let go? Maybe you hear that and it terrifies you. It terrifies you, the thought of, of a, a group of sinful people in a church making a decision about whether someone should be inside the church or outside of the church. And to be honest, for some of you, I can totally understand why that is. Because you have experienced how this can be used so poorly. How churches abuse this authority. Maybe you were kicked out of a church for the smallest thing. For some disagreement. Maybe you were shamed by power-hungry church leaders. That is just so wrong. Church discipline can be used horrendously. And it needs to be used with real care. With real love with a real desire of the ultimate good of the person being disciplined, and with a recognition that all of us are sinners. Every single one of us. And all of us desperately need God's grace. All of us need daily to be repenting of our sin. But sometimes, this must still be done formally. For the sake of the world. For the sake of the individual. For the sake of the church, and actually ultimately for the sake of the Lord Jesus. That his name might not be dishonored, that someone 
might not claim to be his, but live in a denial of his ways. That is how we ought to view unrepentant, serious sin. But how are we to deal with it? Well, I think first we need to see what the Bible says about how we should deal with sin of others more generally in the church. And, and can I just say, this is in the church, not in the world. Did, did you notice that at the end of chapter 5? So it seems that there's a misunderstanding from Paul's previous letter. That's what he's talking about in verse 9. I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or adulterers. In that case, you would have to leave the world. And, and so he says, verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. It's not our job to judge the world, to police the world. It's not our job to condemn the world. Be holier than thou. When we do that, we forget that we are what we are only because of God's grace. It's not our job to withdraw from the world, to avoid those who aren't Christians. No, it's our job to deal with sin inside the church. How? Well, four steps. We're going to look at four steps. But just before the first step, I think there's a couple of questions that we need to ask. Because do we need to deal with this sin at all? Let me give you two questions. Should I let it go? Should I let it go? 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Love covers over a multitude of sins. Sometimes the sin is small enough that we should just let it go. Forgive. And bear with one another. I'm really glad at the end of the day that Miriam doesn't come up to me, that she's gracious and forgiving enough to give me a list of all my faults from the day. You know, Ed, you didn't listen to me at all this morning. That message that you sent to me halfway through the day was pretty blunt. You forgot what time to pick up the kids. You, you put that washing uh, together that I told you not to put together. I mean, it would just be really hard, wouldn't it? Could you imagine if we did that in the church? We just pointed out everybody's faults every time they got... We got a bit annoyed with them. Sometimes we should just let it go. Sometimes the loving thing means to forgive and forget, to cover over. Another question, should I check myself first? You'll recognize these words from Jesus, Luke 6, 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Don't be so quick to condemn others. We might need to work on our own sin before we go around pointing out others' sin. But, but what about when it is more serious? Well, I think Jesus gives us the answer in Matthew 18. I'd love you to turn there with, you, with me. Page 985. Matthew 18, page 985. And here are the four steps. Step one, privately. 
If your brother sins against you, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Step one, privately, it's face to face, one person to another. Don't need to go and tell the pastor or the elder or all your friends first. Oh, it might be wise to consult a friend or even an elder or a pastor about how to go about doing this or whether you need to. Actually, for some who are very quick to think God is telling them to go and rebuke someone, it's very wise to go and talk to someone else and get some wisdom first. But actually, when it comes to addressing it, the first step is privately, one to another. And actually, the Bible says it should be done gently as we rebuke and aim to restore. How much bitterness and pain and division in churches would be avoided if this one step was taken, if it was done well? Actually, most efforts to help one another see our sin should end at step one privately. Step two, called it semi-privately. Verse 16, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If it's serious enough, then, then take maybe one or two max along with you to reinforce that it's not just you having a go that this is serious. Step three, publicly. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Incidentally, publicly within the church. This is not broadcasting it to the world. Now, it is possible that there are some very serious situations like sexual abuse or, or some criminal activity which also need to be reported to the authorities. But most of the time, even step three should be just within the church. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as he would a pagan or tax collector. If it's serious enough, you, you've tried step one, you've tried step two, only then tell it to the church. In our context, probably speak to the elders and discern with them how best we should act. But all the time, hoping, as it gets increasingly serious, that this person will come to their senses and be restored to Jesus. Step four the end of verse 17. Put them outside. Treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. This, this is the last resort. When we've tried many other efforts to warn, sadly, we've had to do it here over the years. In some cases, wonderfully, there has been restoration as that person has come to their senses. Very sadly, in, in others... It's been a confirmation that they've never belonged to Jesus. Actually, back in 1 Corinthians 5, this is where we're going to finish. 
page 1147. It's this last step here that Paul's really been talking about all the way through. And so verse 11, he says, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler, which such, man, such a man do not even eat. Or he ends in verse 13, Expel the wicked man from among you. Don't associate. Is this final step? Step four. Because in Corinth, in this situation in Corinth, the sin is so public, so serious, and this person is so unrepentant, Paul has just gone straight to step four. And step four, well, it means we shouldn't associate with this person. That doesn't mean we can't talk to them. Or they can't come attend church. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be saved. What it means is we will not associate in a way that makes them think that they are in when they are not. How do you? Serious sin. Five lessons. And how to deal with it? Four steps. It's not pleasant. It's not easy. But it's so important. So important for the sake of the world. That the world might see what looking, what living for Jesus looks like, what belonging to Jesus looks like. For the sake of the individual sinner, that by God's grace they might come to their senses and be saved. For the sake, maybe, of the victim. To show that we really do see them, we care, we want to protect them. And ultimately for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. So determined was he to deal with our sin. To offer us all forgiveness. That he was willing to be put out. Forsaken by God the Father. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore let us, for his honor, get rid of the old yeast. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our Father God, none of us enjoys discipline. And yet we know when it comes from a loving hand, it is a good thing. And as we come to a passage that is so difficult in a sense to hear and difficult to practice, we pray that you would help us to really care, to care about our witness to the world, our purity in the church, the the individual who is wandering, ultimately for your glory, that we would be willing to Deal with sin in the right and appropriate ways. In in our hearts and lives, give us, by your grace, an increasing desire to want to live more for Jesus. And as we gently, patiently, and sometimes very clearly have to deal with sin in others, would you give us your wisdom? And we pray as and when these situations arise that 
you, in your kindness, would actually allow these steps to bring people back to a deep, joyful, grace-filled relationship in Jesus Christ. And so we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.